Hello, Run Off the Mill listeners. You're about to undergo a metamorphosis in your career. As hosts, we cover relatable work topics that everyone faces, along with providing real-life work stories. In today's episode, we will cover two topics, imposter syndrome in the workplace and resume building, respectively. If you would like to jump to the resume building excerpt, you can find it at 28 minutes, 44 seconds in. Now, let us take the first step. I think we'll start off with imposter syndrome. And I don't know about you, Rahul and Patrick, but some days when I go into the office, I still wonder if I'm good enough for the job I currently have right now. And and I was wondering if you guys can give me your insight to how you guys feel and any advice you would give, you know, not only to me, but any viewer who's just probably starting their first uh, job, you know, their first day. And just wondering, hey, will I really survive in this job after the three-month break-in period? For sure, man. Yeah, and and this is definitely something that I empathize a lot with. Um, I think it's something that almost every young professional goes through, um, even if they don't like to admit it. But just to take a quick step back, let's talk about the definition of imposter syndrome. So I, I pulled this right off of uh, Google. And the official definition here is imposter syndrome, also known as imposter phenomena or imposter experience, is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills, talents, or accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. And so typically when I think about this, um, at least the way that it applies for me is you know, I might feel like I'm inadequate at work, right? It might be I submit a project and people tell me I did a good job, but I still feel like it wasn't good enough. Um, and, you know, we'll definitely dive into some examples on the podcast today. Um, but I, what I really want to highlight here is that, you know, I feel like this is something that impacts everyone. Um, and it's definitely been exacerbated um, today in the 21st century, kind of with all of social media, as well as all of our ease of communication um, that we have with people that we do know and we don't know. <clears throat> oh, well, uh, I just want to say that imposter syndrome is something that I'm very familiar with. It's something I've been experiencing quite a bit recently. Um, as you mentioned, Patrick, I do think that it is something that perhaps everyone has gone through, uh, especially since, you know, once again, just something new, you're not going to be confident at it. At first, um, even if our listeners are in college right now, um, they ought to know that you know what you're learning in college and what you're going to be doing in the office are two completely <laughs> different things. Usually, actually, almost always, if not always. <laughs> so it's very natural to have this experience. And uh, even if you're moving on to a new project, I think you could really get that experience. Um, and uh, it's very much a psychological condition. Uh, in some of my recent experiences with imposter syndrome, there have been moments where I'm in com <laughs> complete paralysis and uh, don't really know who to talk to, whether I should say anything, uh, because I'm afraid of being ridiculed or, you know, there being doubt cast upon my abilities. Um, so, yeah, this is a conversation I'm looking forward to having with everybody here. Yeah, but if we were to like ask ourselves the question of like where did imposter syndrome start, I'd I'd like to like chime in and say like 
it didn't even start at work. I think as early as in school when, <laughs> you know, I get a project and then the teacher calls on me to present an answer, I'd be like, oh my God, it's like, I know the answer, but you know, will, will my words really connect to what my mind says? And I, I think I just start out as too much of a nervous individual, if that makes sense. And sometimes it really does transfer back into the, the job scheme where it's just like, I wonder if, you know, maybe sometimes I ought to, it's, it's the thought that like, how does one really believe in themselves more? Right. And, um, I don't always want to rely on like my manager saying, Oh, Curtis, no, you did a great job and stuff like that, because it's, it's more of, I think you know, in the moment and more short term rather than, Hey, long term, you want to be confident in your skills. And you want to be able to carry the project and um, not only give the correct answers, but, you know, predict the future for your company as well. So you're saying that some people might be just naturally inclined to experiencing imposter syndrome? Yeah, no, I, I definitely do think that. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, yeah. like, I'm trying to retrace the steps of when I started work and... I think I remember talking about it in uh, my about me story, my career about me career story, where you know I didn't think I was good enough because of my, you know, low GPA and other things like that. And I guess to, to tie into that, I was definitely um, comparing myself to other people that were definitely more successful and better at academics, like um, those things, learning you know, getting good scores and grades, it comes naturally to them um, being really sociable. I guess, you know, just not being able to be at their level really caused some internal sort of doubt inside me. And um, unfortunately, it manifested and it, I rolled with that. However, um, I definitely know it's, it's a relatable thing. Like people have uh, they're sort of off days where, you know, they'll feel a little bit down. However, it's like, you know, when do you start again, when do you start like looking outwards instead of like inwards and what other people really see the potential in you. So that was a long way of like looping around. Um, but I remember encouragement was definitely a big part in establishing those, you know, bursts in confidence where I was just like, I'm too good for, you know, the sort of um, <laughs> custodian sort of blue collar work I was doing at the time when I just graduated college that, you know, I definitely wanted something more. And, you know, to get to that point, um, I think I woke up in that moment where I was contacting people, I was trying reaching out to um, people in the R&D, the research and development industry, you know, asking them for advice and, you know, trying to learn um, trying to learn you know the ways to i'd say what I, to find what i lacked definitely the social aspect i would say was a very big big important in establishing some confidence because i you know i think we could talk about this as part of imposter syndrome but how much of it is just not having that first hands-on experience that human experience interaction with somebody and then you realize hey you know at the end of the day you know that team member that i want to join their team on um, they're they're like me at the end of the day you know they have their insecurities they're not perfect mr perfect or mrs perfect to say right 
So, um, yeah, no, you can go. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, uh, so currently I'm actually working on a pretty massive project that's been going on for several years. Um, and, you know, I really relate to that aspect of, you know, social relations very much because one of the things I've been feeling lacking, and I started my uh, current job in April, um, is is that, you know, one-to-one -one interaction or even that sort of physical interaction, I think, um, with, you know, your teammates. I think it's very valuable. And it's something I especially miss now that we're all remote. Um, it's very hard to understand by language or to understand tone uh, when it's communicated via, let's say, text message or something something similar. Um, so yeah, definitely, I think that's been, for me at least, a uh, big reason why I've been feeling a lot of imposter syndrome recently. Um, and as you mentioned also, uh, it also depends on your environment and the kind of people you're working with. Um, some of the people I've, I've been working with are very high achieving. They've been in this project for like 10 years or they've been working in finance for like several years. Whereas, you know, I came from an environmental science background. Uh, I'm self-taught for all of my software engineering sort of skills and whatnot. Um, and here I am in this big project um, and trying to give my input, you know, uh, valuable input um, while, you know, I'm being unsure about whether or not my input is actually accurate or valid um so yeah definitely very related i think in that sense but uh, for you curtis do you think now that since you've been working uh for some years now uh, in your position uh, and within that same company do you feel like you're still experiencing that imposter syndrome definitely and it's probably in the aspect of uh presenting my research to uh, the manager or somebody else where they're just like, okay, well, explain it to us. And I'd be like <laughs> trying to think of a, a good way to um, connect together my thought process and, you know, how to output it through my mouth in a way that it makes sense to them or it would make sense to them. And sometimes I, I find myself just rambling on and, you know, they, they get the gist of it in my story. They'll be like, oh, you know, you know, from that whole paragraph, you know, they, they um, narrow it down to one simple sentence that I could have summarized it about. But I think the summary is just for their understanding of what I just said, because I tend to go into like a more sort of like technical rant <laughs> per se. So, um, you know, I feel like that's something I want to work on right now. And I think a good solution is to really um, talk to your manager and have confidence in what they feedback they give to you first you know absolutely mm. I, yeah go ahead patrick that that's a really good point you know I, I think it's really tough to kind of accept uh some of the feedback you know i mentioned earlier that how i really struggle with imposter syndrome is you know i will work my butt off on preparing something and i will think it is not good enough and then when I submit it and people say, good job, I will almost feel like it's a pitying good job or they're just saying good job to be nice. Um, but I think Curtis made a good point here where you know, it's important to have that confidence and have that trust that you know your peers and your managers, when they say good job or they say kind of positive things that those things are valid and you should trust their opinions in that and not kind of have that self-defeating mindset of, 
hey, they're just saying this to be nice or, hey, you know, they're just saying this out of pity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. I also think that the uh, relationship with the manager is very important as well. Um, I've been very lucky to have a manager who's open to questions and even sometimes in retrospect, stupid questions. Um, so sometimes it is the luck of the draw as well. Um, but yeah, the mindset is also important. Uh, accepting feedback, whether it's positive or negative, and trying to learn from every experience. I think it's critical to overcoming Foster syndrome. Yep, 100%. I guess I want to take a, a couple moments just to talk about in, imposter syndrome, you know, conceptually and think about, you know, we talked about how the roots are, you know, stemming from even when we were younger and in school, right? Some of that nervousness, whether it be, you know, and with our teachers or peers or our parents. Um, but I think just high level, you know, imposter syndrome comes down to the fact that, you know, we as individuals cannot grasp, you know, a holistic picture of what other people are like, right? We, we feel like imposters, not because we're flawed, but rather because we kind of fail to see how flawed everyone else must also be beneath the surface, right? And, you know, I think this kind of goes to how much social media has kind of perpetrated uh, our image of other people, where we might feel like we're going through a lot of very tough times and we're struggling with our own kind of personal internal demons. But then when we see someone else, especially their profile on social media, other people want to showcase their best self. And as a result, they must not have those similar issues. Um, but what I want to clarify there is, you know, people also must have those issues. Uh, and again, it's kind of that empathy where, you know, these issues are not unique to yourself, right? We understand ourselves from the inside, but we only understand other people from the outside, right? When we, when we kind of have conversations with other people, you know, we have a very narrow perspective of what they tell us, right? It's usually an edited perspective. It's usually only dialogue that they've read to us, but we can't get that genuine picture or that holistic picture of their inner thoughts. And so that's where I feel like, you know, since we don't get that holistic picture and we don't have that understanding, you know, we're kind of left to conclude that we're kind of failures. Um, but really, again, kind of where I want to kind of spin this into a more positive light is, you know, everyone is going through this, right? And it's not just everyone, but it's also everyone at every level, right? So I want to highlight that no matter how successful you are, that feeling is something that will never go away. Uh, and this kind of reminds me of a conversation that I had with my, my manager recently, where um, every week I, I touch base with my manager. And since I'm relatively new at my new job, every week I ask, hey, do you have any feedback for me? And so, I think this is like week 12 for me at my new job. Um, this past week, my manager sat me down and was like, hey, why, why are you asking for feedback every week? Like, I, I've told you that you're doing like a pretty good job. And that's when I kind of like broke down a little bit and, and was a little bit more vulnerable. And I'm like, yeah, I really appreciate a lot of the feedback, you know, both positive and negative, but I, I just, I'm just not sure that I'm doing a good job. And I feel like I need that positive reinforcement. Um, and I kind of talked about this whole like imposter syndrome you know, starting a new job during COVID, um, as well as not being able to meet any of my colleagues, as well as having all my colleagues who are much older than me um, and feeling like I'm inadequate. And, you know, he said something to me that I thought was super interesting, which was basically like, 
hey, you know, sometimes I have those days too, right? And, and he mentioned that even though he's the kind of chief actuary at the company, sometimes when he talks to the CFO or sometimes when he talks to the CEO, he might have instances where he feels like, you know, he's an imposter or he feels like he's inadequate enough. Um, and that really kind of struck a chord with me, again, to kind of highlight my initial point of, you know, everyone goes through, the, everyone goes through this um, and it's not something that disappears. Um, and again, uh, that's mostly driven by the fact that we only have an external understanding uh, of other people. Also, un also un uh, wonder, both of you just started um, or new new positions like fairly recently. Um, you, you guys did ask me the question, like I've been in L'Oreal for a couple of years by now, even when I started as a temp. And I'd say I pr pretty much know the company culture pretty well and that um, I began to feel a little bit comfortable. Now, you know, I think what causes the imposter syndrome to kind of uh, manifest in itself was I start a new position and I don't know, you know, what the manager is like and, um, you know, what my new coworkers are going to be like. And so it's just like, I don't want to step on anybody's toes or feet. But, you know, once I get to know my man, my new manager and my new coworkers, um, not saying it's like, it becomes like seeing Kumbaya happy, but um, I got into a pretty good group um, in hair color. And, you know, it's like, even though I'm on a new team, you know, I think my manager has been in my shoes and he's done all he can during COVID to really make me feel like, you know, I'm taken care of and I'm part of the team. And um, I'm just wondering, you know, being comfortable, I think really helps with the imposter syndrome. And if you guys um, stay where you are a little bit longer, you know, and get used to like the company culture, you know, would you be more confident? And is that something, you know, you would recommend um, our viewers, you know, just find a position where you want to be comfortable with and stay for a couple of years and um, try to like, um, that's how you avoid imposter syndrome to say. I think that largely depends on the situation, but I think you're right in saying that, you know, the more experience you have within a certain role, the more comfortable and the more confident you'll be. Uh, and that's definitely an easy way to kind of combat imposter syndrome. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think that kind of comes with that, that knowledge and ultimately fulfilling or going from an imposter to what we would quote unquote call like a genuine uh, <laughs> Well, that has that mastery, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree. I think it's a, it is very situational when imposter syndrome is to occur. Um, so, like, for example, in consulting, which is something I've recently got into uh, with my current position, um, you know, there's a lot of learning that you have to do. Uh, for IT consulting, uh, in particular, you have to not only make sure that you understand the technical aspects of whatever project you're working on and make sure that your technical skills align, but also understand the business processes around that. Uh, for me, that was learning, for example, trade finance and finance in general, which I didn't know anything about uh, before April. Um, and I think gradually, though, as you did mention, the more time that you spend on the project or that I've spent on the project, um, you know, I've, I think I've gotten a better grasp of the business, of 
trade finance, for example. But there are also different aspects of the project. Whereas, you know, before I was working more behind the scenes um, and wasn't very comfortable with users and talking to them and understanding how they want the project to look like. Um, but you know, the more time that I've spent on it, the better it is. But I can easily foresee that there are going to be other uh, parts of this project to come that I have not been prepared for. And when I'm put into the situations, I can <laughs> I'm coming back. So it's uh, something to always be aware of, I think. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think this kind of sums up our thoughts when, you know, I mentioned the kind of most surefire way to kind of combat imposter syndrome is, is time. Right. And, and that time comes with, again, acceptance, with empathy and with vulnerability. Right. To be able to talk about imposter syndrome, whether it be with your manager or with your friends and kind of turning some of that energy um, and some of those feelings into, you know, force for good or force for improvement. Um, and again, I, I think it's very easy to say and very hard to implement. Um, but I think that understanding and that empathy and that acceptance is the first step. Any other kind of comments from the team in regards to imposter syndrome? Any other examples that you guys want to highlight that you guys have gone through either recently or in the past? I think there are maybe some points in imposter syndrome where you might overthink a situation as well. Um, there have been times where I don't know how to respond to a situation and just spend, you know, a lot of time trying to solve minor what are objectively minor issues um, and other times and that's it actually because you know I'm overthinking the situation and um, I think in those circumstances when you are feeling paralyzed and you don't know what to do I think the best uh, way to get around that is to communicate with the manager I think just to sort of rehash this point of communication when you're lost and you're feeling unsure is probably the best and perhaps the only way to get out of this. Um, but yeah, I think time is definitely key as well. I mean, this this could kind of like segue into our second topic eventually, but um, I was just thinking about, you know, diary keeping, like how often do we write down um, our specific accomplishments and what we achieve um, in our current jobs where our colleagues and our managers commended us saying, oh, you know, you did a good job. You did X, Y, and Z. You saved the company money. You generated revenue, you know, because you did these specific actions that help another team out or our or the team within. Um, I certainly, I'm at fault for it's like, I don't keep a diary and I don't, <laughs> only when it comes time to like rebuild my resume, do I try to think back about my achievements. But um, I think it's like, you know, the teachers and, you know, the managers and the friends I had, or you guys as well, like, tell me in the past, like, don't sell yourself short. And, you know, maybe a, a solution to, like, imposter syndrome could be write down some notes. Like, seriously, you know, there's so many um, action-packed and jam-packed things in everybody's schedule nowadays that, you know, you're going to forget what you did at work. And it's a more important to kind of like, if you really did do something well, um, maybe pull it, pull it aside in an email, you know, 
and um, definitely keep it in your records so that when it, one day um, you start doubting yourself, you just reread your history of, in your career and think, wow, you know, I really did that or, you know, I did that. And it felt so natural to me. So it's like, but what does that accomplish? But obviously it should, it, it helped accomplish a lot for your current company, right? I, I really like that. Yeah. I, I relate yeah. to that so well. Um, recently I had to brush up my resume and that's the only time I really was able to reflect on all the things I was able to do in the past six months or so. Um, I think, you know, journaling itself is such an undervalued activity. We kind of brush it up as this sort of almost childish thing to do of, oh, you know, a diary, like who does that like, like elementary school kids? Um, but actually, I think, uh, you know, from a mental health perspective, I think it's very useful. And you're right. I mean, we forget. Uh, and sometimes we tend to remember the negative experiences more than the positive experiences. Um, and so keeping a daily journal and, you know, monitoring one sort of sort of mental state and contentment with your performance, I think is a great uh, way of, you know, combating imposter syndrome as much as possible. Um, I mean, this is the case in, in work. I've, I've, the, the reason why I like journaling and this idea so much is I came across it from a bodybuilder because I, I do like fitness. Uh, and he did the same thing for his workouts where he would not only record how many reps and sets and weights, but also his feelings for the day. Um, and that helped him overcome, you know, his personal records and came to higher and higher things. I think even here uh, in the workplace, you know, journaling has a place and a very important So yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, dude, 100%. I was basically going to say exactly what Rahul mentioned here, where, you know, we often tend to put more emphasis and weight on the negative feedback and the negative emotions. And we often discount a lot of the positive things that have happened and a lot of those positive experiences. Um, and so I know we're, we're starting to get a little bit off topic here and, and more talking about mental health, but mm -hmm. I definitely think that it's kind of all linked together. And, you know, just personally speaking about the journaling too, um, I kind of restarted journaling last year in 2019, and it has been a very tremendous part of my life. And when I mean journaling, I think journaling can be as simple as just writing down notes on your phone. It doesn't necessarily need to be, hey, I need to buy a dedicated notebook for this. Uh, I need to keep some dedicated repository. Um, for me, what I've been doing is uh, there's this ex-Marine named David Goggins um, that has really inspired me. Um, and I always go back to rewatch his videos every once in a while. Um, but he has mentioned that um, it's really important to write down those positive wins and experiences in your life. And those positive experiences and wins uh, become your mental cookie jar of when things get tough. And so what I'm trying to say there is, at least for me, every time I have like a really stressful week, um, I always go back to the, the notes app on my phone and I kind of read through those positive experiences and those wins that I have. Um, and yeah, just kind of accumulating those experiences just in 2019 and 2020, I can just see how much I've achieved personally. And that's always a good reminder that, you know, I, I am someone who is talented. I am someone who's capable and I am someone who's worth it. And I also kind of bring that question back to and point back to our viewers too and listeners where, you know, you are talented, you are worth it, you know, you are capable and you belong, right? 
and don't discount yourself or don't discredit yourself or don't sell yourself short. I was about to like <laughs> chime in like with the L'Oreal theme, like L'Oreal because you're worth it. <laughs> I mean, it does carry through, you know, it does help sell our cosmetic products for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think to kind of close out this segment then, um, there's a good quote that I found from the French philosopher Montaigne uh, from the 16th century, France. France. Uh, and the quote bit vulgar, but his quote is kings and philosophers shit and so do ladies and, and I think that's that empathy where you know for such a thing like imposter syndrome you know this is universal for everyone right and don't feel like you're alone and struggling and dealing with that um, because I promise you someone more successful has those same thoughts that you do mm. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Patrick. I think that was a great way of capping off our first topic, uh, imposter syndrome. And uh, we're moving on to our second topic, which is resume building. And um, I have personally have not built my resume um, from the last time I updated it when I got my full-time job. So it's been about two years and I feel like I'm getting a little bit rusty. However, I'm trying to remember the process, you know, alongside talking in this podcast, but you know, I want to like um, send this over to you, Patrick. Um, you recently got a new job, right? So obviously you had to work on your resume and I'm just wondering, you know, what was your thought process in establishing it? Yeah, great question, man. Um, so I think I also have a slightly unique story where, you know, I was at my prior consulting company for uh, almost five years before I transitioned over. So the opportunities to update my resume were uh, very little. <laughs> uh, so really, when I when I sat down in you know kind of 2020 Q2 to revamp a lot of my resume, um, I had to do exactly what you and Rahul mentioned, which was you know dig deep for some of those experiences and those accomplishments um, that I achieved over my five years uh, of working within consulting. I think just to kind of talk about the the broad line structure of a resume, though. Um, it's important to have kind of distinct sections um, for each specific topic or relevant experience. So I think this will vary depending on if you're in college or you're in the workforce or if you're someone more senior. Um, but I think just to start off at the most basic level, you're going to want to include, you know, your education, right? And that might be, you know, high school or college. And you'll definitely want to include uh, what major or primarily what you're studying. I know some people will also kind of tailor their resume by including certain classes or qualifications that they've done within school uh, that are relevant to the job. And so let's say, for example, I'm applying to um, uh, an actuarial role, um, then kind of, again, showcasing that I've taken a class on time series uh, or you know, Venetian modeling or Monte Carlo simulations uh, will be helpful for the job. And so consequently having that as a point would be, again, very helpful. I think outside of education, you definitely wanna also showcase uh, kind of leadership or volunteer experiences, whether it be through extracurriculars or clubs. 
And this mostly applies for you know college students, but I think it's also valuable on the professional resume um, because ultimately you, you show that outside of my professional experience, I'm also doing uh, other things, whether it be volunteering in my community and having a leadership role there or applying my skill set to other things outside of my job. I guess next I'll also mention that, of course, the bulk of your resume should be your professional experience. So this is going to be, you know, all the companies, all the roles that you've worked at uh, over the past couple of years, as well as kind of tying bullet points for, you know, what you've done within your role and what you've accomplished. Then last but not least, you know, I'll mention from a high level structure, I do like to include things like either a summary of qualifications or additional skills and interests. Um, you know, summary of qualification just kind of gives a recruiter like a, if they didn't like read through your resume, they could kind of look at those two bullet points and just get a quick high level idea of who you are. And then similarly for the skills and interests, skills really apply for, hey, what type of software or what type of tools I'll be using for this job. Uh, and interests for me are just an easy way to connect with the team. Let's say, for example, you collect sneakers. Um, and it just happens to be that, you know, one of your interviewers also collects sneakers, um, then I'm sure that you'll get along super well right off the bat because you have similar hobbies, right? Um, so I think including some of those minor things as well, while it may seem somewhat superficial, are a really easy way to kind of connect yourself uh, with the recruiter or the interviewing team. Anything to add, Rahul and Curtis, as you guys like start to revamp your resume? Do you guys feel like uh, the process this time has been more difficult uh, than the past or easier. I I agree with basically everything you've said. Um, also, I think one of the points to add is to make sure you understand who is reading your resume, what kind of role you're applying to, um, because you might have experiences or different experiences that, you know, your past, under your past employers. Um, but it's important to highlight certain aspects of those experiences based on who's reading it. Um, for example, uh, if you're applying for a software engineering position, you might want to emphasize some of the languages that they might be using for their systems that they're working on. Um, or if you're working more with users uh, on a software project, uh, then you should also include those experiences where you've been speaking more to the users or if you've played a more sort of business analyst role. Um, so it really depends. Uh, for someone like me who's worn different hats at different companies, uh, this is something I always have to keep in mind. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the stuff you mentioned too about hobbies and stuff is great. I, I totally agree. My question to you then is, and I guess to you also as well, Curtis, is what is your opinion on the length of a resume? Um, and the structure of a resume, uh, you know, appearance-wise. Because I think recently, people have been a little bit more revolutionary about resumes. When I was in school, we had this strict rule that has to be within one page. Um, if you go to academia, sometimes, you know, it'll exceed one page, maybe two pages, uh, some even longer than that. Um, and sometimes you will see resumes which are not just like as a list, but rather as columns. So what are your opinions about the structure of resume and the length of resume? I want to hear that. Um, so I just, um, I want to start with answering Patrick's question um, that he asked back 
And is regarding, is it getting harder to create a resume? I don't think so. I think just whatever is the hardest part for me is just starting it and getting over that starting hump um, is just going to make things a lot more easier. I know nowadays you have so many people that you could go to a professional resume builder for your industry and they could probably interview you, get some very good, you know, points that selling points that you might not have thought about and just boom, <laughs> you know, really no effort on your part to um, do that resume builder's job. Uh, but here you go, you could use that sort of um, resource or service. And uh, Rahul, for your question, I think it is different now, right? Um, I think you have so many people, you know, that are competitive and trying to apply for the same position. I think for me, one page isn't quite enough anymore. Like some people are just trying to do even two page resumes where one and a half pages and trying to get a lot of keywords in and their um, accomplishments in order for maybe the res to catch the resume, um, the HR assistant's eyes, or I'm sure like a lot of companies use like those um, keyword finders in resumes as we speak. Yeah, so uh, you, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a question and ask Rahul. Um, the way I kind of tackle that question is, yeah, there's definitely been um, more freedom and flexibility in resume generation over the past couple of years. Um, but yeah. I think the most important takeaway here is that, again, and you mentioned this, to think about who is reading your resume, right? And that's how I ultimately think you should structure things, right? I'll mention that within at least my experience with more finance and consulting roles, you know, a lot of times recruiters will receive hundreds of resumes. Uh, I handled, you know, a summer intern recruiting at my prior consulting company. Um, and we received, you know, northwards of 160 resumes for one position. Um, and so you can imagine that when I was reviewing the resumes, I'm spending like 40 seconds per resume. And that to me uh, kind of brings up, if you had a resume that was two pages, I'm unlikely to ever get to the second page. Mm -hmm. um, but I can definitely see a case where, you know, potentially if you're in academia or potentially in a, applying to a role where, you know, requires a lot of that, you know, additional information, then maybe the two pages is acceptable. Um, so again, kind of bottom line, you know, I think that really depends on what industry and where you're applying, but also make sure to keep in mind you know, who do you think is, is reading your resume or who's reviewing that, right? I'll mention again, just, you know, within at least the, the corporate world uh, that I've primarily worked, um, a lot of times what will happen is you'll have a recruiter who's a little bit older in age, who might be used to more of the traditional resume, which might be blocked off at one page. And so oftentimes what will happen, at least from my experience was, if we saw a two page resume, we would cut it uh, immediately. And that would almost be like a criteria for kind of getting your foot in the door. Um, but I could also definitely see that going the other way, right? If you potentially have a younger recruiter at a startup, or let's say they were looking for someone with a graphic design experience. Um, if you had a very creative resume that kind of tailored your experience to your resume output, I can definitely see recruiters enjoying that a lot more than like a standard one pager. Um, so kind of long-winded way of saying uh, it's it's situational and it really depends on the role. Um, so I think kind of to give our users some, our listeners rather, some more concrete advice, 
you know, think about who you're sending your resume to and think about what job you're applying to. Yeah, I think um, we're three honest individuals and I think you guys have all heard of, you know, just even in TV shows and dramas of like, you know, lying on your resume, putting like fake experience that's going to help you get in. And I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I would not do that, you know, especially when you're asked um, tough questions on the spot in the interview and they find that you're a fraud. But. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, when I um when I was applying to jobs earlier this year, I was working with a couple of recruiting agencies, um, and you know, just so everyone knows, yeah, I didn't I didn't come from a traditional software engineering background or anything of the sort. So, and I really wanted to get my foot in the door with tech in the states. So I was working in Japan until then, um, and one of the the feedback that I received from one of these companies was that hey, you know. We will present your resume to our clients. However, we're going to have to like change up your resume a bit, uh, change your sort of one year of experience or so at this company to five years, and it's you know all these other sort of changes. And I just couldn't have it. Um, not only because you know it's you know it's important to have some dignity for the stuff you've done, um, but also because I was to tie back to a previous topic, I was afraid of the imposter syndrome and not actually knowing the things that were. Resume. So definitely wouldn't uh, enjoy the resume. And yeah, 100% agree with this uh, and definitely echo both Rahul's and, and Curtis's comments. You know, I'll, I'll mention very explicitly when I was handling recruiting uh, at my prior consulting company, at least for the college students. Uh, yeah, there, there are definitely, you know, a, a pocket full of instances where, you know, students would be lying on the resume. And I, well, number one, I could definitely tell. Uh, when certain people are lying and it's like very far-fetched, you know, a student might write that they've had this experience and I just, either you're a superhuman or I don't believe it, right? Um, which is not so much the here, but what I will also mention is that, you know, in the recruiting process, most companies will utilize a background checker. Um, and so that means like if, if you lie about a role um, and they use the background check and it's not there, then you're probably going to get rejected or you're going to get denied. Um, and obviously, that's much more difficult to check with things like uh, like clubs. But for example, like accreditations, like exams, um, mm. like, you know, schools or education, like that is, you know, you'll get flagged immediately um, and get rejected. So would not recommend doing that in, in any sort of way. <laughs> Here's a question I have uh, going. This goes back a little bit to structure again. Would you include a summary for your resume? Some people include a sort of short paragraph. Um, so those were my two experiences there in sort of, I had two or three versions of resumes that I was circulating around. Um, but now this leads to my question then because my LinkedIn is a mess. I have basically listed all of my uh, work experience, including part-time. Um, many of these things are unrelated. So my question is, how much of a relationship or correspondence should a resume have to a LinkedIn portfolio, if that comparison is even relevant to begin with? Great question, and very 
kind of complex and nuanced topic, and I love it. Uh, well, I guess, first of all, just to start off, you know, I, I definitely think you're pursuing this in the right direction. You know, for example, I've seen many, you know, software engineers link their GitHub, right, um, in their resume, again, just for recruiters or interviewers to kind of take a quick snapshot look into their portfolio and see what coding projects they've done, um, as well as kind of personal side projects that they've worked on. Um, so I think that really kind of showcases mastery of, hey, I'm not just writing this on my resume that I know how to code, but here you can see physical evidence of that, right? And I, I think that's similar to like a lot of art or graphic design or UI UX roles, which also require you to submit some form of portfolio work. Um, so yeah, definitely kudos to you for doing that, man. Um, in regards to LinkedIn, I kind of view that platform slightly differently in the sense of uh, LinkedIn is almost is basically like a social media profile, right? So I think kind of having the full encompassing story of your professional experience is going to be the way to go. A recruiter, I would not expect uh, to utilize your LinkedIn to kind of make that final recruiting decision, but rather make that decision based on your resume. So bottom line, what I'm trying to say here is, I think it's good that you're kind of retailoring your resume for each job and each role. Uh, but I think it's okay to link uh, to leave your LinkedIn as broad and open as possible. Um, and why I kind of say that broad and open is because recruiters of all different types of backgrounds are going to reach out to you, right? Depending on your experiences, you know. I think if you're specifically looking specifically looking for something within software engineering, then slightly adjusting your LinkedIn or again kind of reordering your LinkedIn um, to be more software engineering oriented is probably still the way to go. Um, but I would not kind of remove anything uh, just for the sake of removing it or, you know, kind of question yourself of, hey, is this like too confusing or too complex because of my the diversity in my work background? Um, I think uh, I, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think bottom line that can also be solved within the summary section uh, on LinkedIn, where <laughs> maybe rather than in your traditional resume where you might have bullet points, um, your summary section of LinkedIn could be a good place to explain like, hey, you know, I love Japanese culture. I spent some time there, um, but now, you know, I'm looking for, you know, software engineering role um, or some type of story to that sort. Mm -hmm. right. Kurt, any, any comments there? Yeah, um, I really do agree that LinkedIn was only there to kind of like get the stepping stone and some, you know, HR contact or recruiter to kind of get to know you more. However, I think it really does all go back to the traditional resume where your summary section will tell more. And once they read it and then go down to your um, job experience, that's what really reaches out to them. Like, oh, you did X, Y, and Z. Like, oh, really set very specific examples that now we want you know, in, in somebody to fill this position with. That's what I was like, I was thinking like maybe in these days, like we're overthinking and maybe trying to make the perfect resume per se. However, you have to be able to go back to your resume and go through the interview and really back up your experience. But I do understand that the resume is important in just getting yourself, you know, through the door. 
For sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely echo that sentiment. And I want to tie this back to a point uh, about making sure that you're not lying on your resume. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes what will happen, at least what we did uh, in, in terms of recruiting and interviewing a lot of college students uh, for summer internship roles uh, back in my previous consulting firm was uh, we would we would spend an entire day out uh, at Berkeley campus and go to the Career Center uh, and just interview students in 30 minute blocks. Uh, and oftentimes I would bring kind of printed copies of the students' resumes uh, and I would kind of pick a random bullet point and say, hey, tell me tell me about this experience or what, what did you learn about from this experience or what did you gain or how what was the impact there? Um, and, you know, you'd be surprised that sometimes students would, would, would not really have a good story about it. Um, and then I kind of ask the question, you know, so, so what was, what was the point of putting this out on your resume? Um, you know, was there actually learning or, or impact from this bullet point here? Um, so, you know, again, I think tying back to Curtis's point, it's important to, to make sure that those accomplishments or the work that you did was, you know, genuine and that you have evidence to back that up to kind of support your uh, case for trying to get the job. My question then, another random, maybe somewhat unrelated question. Well, actually, I'm very curious about your perspective about this, Patrick, but does appearance ever affect your judgment? For example, the use of colors, um, design maybe a picture of the candidate um font and all this sort of thing does that ever affect your, your decision I, I love that question man uh, and what really kind of jumps out to me when you ask that is i believe in japan you are required to submit a photo with your resume yeah. is that true <laughs> yes i've taken many photos for that purpose that's awesome. Yeah. And, and I think that's like a cultural difference because I, I feel as though most people in America do not uh, submit a photo or I believe in some places it might even be frowned upon um, because people don't want uh, workplace discrimination. Right. Uh, as long as you're able to do the job, uh, it doesn't matter what you look like. Um, so I'm not sure how I feel about the photo. Uh, but at least kind of just on initial thought as you brought up the question, I would say that it, it should not be impactful, right? I, at least from, if I were looking at college students' uh, resumes, kind of, again, for recruiting a summer intern at, at my old consulting company, uh, I would not care what the student looked like. I would not care about their gender, their race, ethnicity, um, you know, or disabilities. Um, again, really just, can they come into the office and get the work done? Are they open to learning and do they have the correct mindset um, and do they get along with the team? Um, and then kind of going to your point about, you know, colors and graphics. Um, again, I would think about that as tied to how relevant it is to your work. So again, for example, if I were applying to a graphic design position, then it might be okay to have some type of, you know, mm -hmm. color template or, or graphic that's kind of tied to your portfolio because that showcases your design work but at least for finance or consulting where having you know some type of design background is not required nor necessary uh i would view that as kind of irrelevant or you only have so much finite space on your resume why are you including uh, this random image mm -hmm. i would prefer that the 
candidate utilize that white space to fill in with more relevant experience or evidence and backup? Mm -hmm. So black hair pause there. Yeah, black and I, I would say black and white. I think the degree of customization that uh, individual applicants can have, you know, I've seen font sizes anywhere from like <clears throat> size six to size like 20. So, um, so I would also kind of play with that, you know, I think a lot of that's also like depending on personal preference. But what I think mm -hmm. is most important about size um, and other formatting, such as like bold or italics, um, is consistency. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what really bothers me is when a an applicant will use like size eight font somewhere um, for one bullet point and use size ten on another bullet point. Uh, I, I think that shows like a, a slight carelessness and yeah. a lack of attention to detail, which is very important in kind of a finance job. And again, the the reason why I think that is because your resume is is not like a test. Right, it's not like something that you need to produce immediately. Right, you could spend days or weeks on this at home, so it should showcase your best self. So, if a student presents a resume to me with kind of proofreading errors, like uh, there's no period here, or there's the hyphen here is not correct, or there's no apostrophe, then that that is something that bothers me. Right, again, because you're trying to showcase your best self. There's no timing restriction on that, so you better have your you know, excuse my language, you better have your shit together. Absolutely. That's a very good point. On your perspective here on the on the on the kind of portrait photos or like the graphics. Um especially since you've moved from you know applying jobs in Japan to applying for jobs here. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's uh it's a very interesting situation in Japan because not only do we have to include a photo of ourselves, um, we also have to handwrite our resume in many situations. Um, so we don't type out anything, usually. Um, we have to actually buy the resume paper from a convenience store or some other stationery store, um, write out everything. And for me, as a foreigner uh, who's learned Japanese as a second language, well, more third language, you could say, um, it was often a little stressful at times. <laughs> I had to use, I had to basically throw away many of these kind of expensive papers because I messed up a kanji or something, or one of these uh, characters um, while writing the resume. And uh, I'd always been, I often feel like that was being scrutinized. Like people would actually look at that and try to assess my character and my Japanese ability based on my handwriting, say. Um, and yeah, even even submitting a photo, <laughs> it's very stressful. You got to make sure that you have everything together, not a zit on your face. For <laughs> and yellow hair. <laughs> yeah, you can't be eating like French fries the day before your resume picture. That's for sure. Um, so yeah, um, it's definitely not something I like, and um, I'm very happy that <laughs> here in the states, I don't have to go through that same process. Um, but I do definitely agree with you. I, I and, and your point about how this is not really a one-time performance, but rather something that you submit after as much time as you need, um, that this should be really a reflection of your very best, that you should be very careful about your grammar and consistency, especially uh, from whether it's the font sizes to the font style um, and also punctuation. And all of these minor details should all matter. 
when something goes next. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I think it would help, like it wouldn't hurt to kind of, if you're friends with somebody similar in the industry and you're gunning for a position they have already experienced on or, you know, they're in, it's not a bad idea to actually ask, you know, if they're comfortable with like giving you tips or seeing their resume and seeing what it's like, not saying to copy word for word, but um, I definitely like reach out to some other people in L'Oreal and say, ask them, hey, you know, are, do you guys have an open position? And if so, like, what's the general candidate you're looking for, right? Absolutely. I, I think that has more to do with like the networking and the exploration of a job role. Uh, but yeah, definitely very important if you can grab some keywords and just from, you know, from an information perspective, understand more about the role, right? That will help you mm -hmm. better prep the bullet points in your resume um, to tailor yourself, you know, again, to those roles and those responsibilities. Yeah, but I, I think Curtis, you also mentioned an interesting and good point, which was you should definitely have other people review your resume, um, just because you might think a certain way might be the best, or you might feel as though proofread everything, you know, did your spell check. Um, it's always good to have, you know, second, third additional sets of eyes, um, right. just to give you that additional perspective. Um, particularly if that additional set of eyes is, you know, someone within the job or within the company, uh, that would probably also help tremendously as well, because that person would know uh, what type of resume has worked, right? Um, and whether or not you're completely off base. I totally agree. Uh, recently, when I was applying to a full-time position for my current job, because right now I'm working as a temp, um, yeah, my boss actually looked over my resume before submitting it to one of the higher-ups, and his feedback was definitely important. Um, because we've been working together, of course, on this project, but he told me to emphasize really specifically leadership skills and all of these um, instances where I'm communicating with a you know international team based in China, Japan, and America, and to really put that together in order to appeal to the company, which is really looking for that sort of uh, employee. Um, so definitely, yeah, getting that insider advice is key, I think, to a good, uh, confident resume submission. Anything else you want to talk about uh, in regards to resume structure or any other questions before we wrap? Right. I think um, I had a question before where it's just like the hardest part was getting over the hump of just restarting the resume building process, right? And I mean, I mean, I guess that goes into it. Like, Patrick, what would you suggest, like, how to get motivation-wise to actually just start building a resume, you know, if, if currently my job is, I'd say pretty comfortable and there's really no push as of yet in terms of like, um, to update my resume, but everybody says that, Hey, Curtis, no, you should, you know, keep your resume kind of updated, you know, from time to time so that when maybe shit hits the fan, you know, so to speak, like, let's say tomorrow I lost my job, you know, this is when. I could use that resume to send applications out. Yeah, great question. So, you know, I, I think 
a lot of people would recommend that it's important to update your resume regularly. And I, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. I think the reality though, is that we're all busy uh, and trying to update your resume that may not get used is probably not, not a priority in our lives. So what I'm personally thinking about in terms of setting rules for myself uh, recently has been every time I have a role change or every time I've spent a year or more at my role, then I will revisit my resume and update it. That way it's just a good way to you know reflect on either an annual basis or every time I change roles on what I've accomplished uh, during my during my time uh, doing that role. Um, so that's kind of like the, the first piece I would mention there. And then secondly, in terms of updating, you know, the specifics of bullet points and what you've done at a role, if you have no ideas, um, I think thanks to social media again, and thanks to the internet, uh, LinkedIn is your friend, right? Uh, what you could simply do is look up another colleague uh, who's in kind of a similar position and see what they've written in regards to that role. And I, I think you can do this also for if you're applying to a specific role and you know someone who has that position already, you know, check their LinkedIn and see what they've listed as their bullet points in experience for that role um, to kind of get you jumpstarted from there. Definitely don't copy their, their bullet points word for word. Um, but again, I think that should kind of create some semblance and baseline of, hey, you know, these are some of the things that, you know, this person thought about when they uh, wrote out the resume and and are those things relevant to to what I did as well? Does right. that no, that makes sense. And I think this goes back to um, eventually when the interview process happens and we can cover the interview process in a future episode. You want to go off the own point, your own points and in your own words so that it doesn't seem like you're a fraud. Oh, absolutely. I, I, again, I really just kind of look at that as kind of like some quick inspiration, right? Let, let's say, for example, you're a chemist, you know, a chemist does so many different things. Um, so it can be hard to kind of narrow down, you know, what are, you know, maybe the three or four most important points that I should list out in my resume, right? Uh, out of all the different job responsibilities that I have. So again, having some of that inspiration from a sample colleague, you know, might be important in seeing okay, maybe this person was promoted to senior chemist, right? This is what they wrote for their chemist uh, role. And those were the factors that led to their success um, that got them promoted to be a senior chemist. And so maybe I should parallel, you know, some of those experiences, experiences and again, see how relevant they are. Yeah, no, I think I definitely agree. And if you both of you don't have anything else to add um what would you summarize or cap off like the general things you know your resume should have and for what i what we've been discussing i thought leadership is definitely important to showcase um your skills is definitely important to showcase but also um if it wasn't obvious as well you also want to showcase generally that you're a team player and you're flexible too i think those were the most three important things Yeah, absolutely. I, I would definitely echo that. Um, again, when I think about most important characteristics or qualities, uh, I would refer to, again, the, the job that I'm applying for. If you're applying for a kind of team position, then of course you want to be a very good team player, right? If you're applying for a slightly more leadership or more independent role, then of course you're going to want to reflect on those qualities. Um, but I think high level, you know, the most important thing for me is 
communication skills, as well as the, the mindset and willingness to learn, um, as well as the mindset and willingness to kind of pass that knowledge down as well. Um, so if you're in a more senior role and you've helped out, you know, some of your more junior colleagues, I'd love to see that on a resume, right? Because it not only shows mastery over material, mm -hmm. but it also shows that you're helping those people younger than you and that you're making the next generation of employees mm -hmm. better. Um, so yeah, I, I would say again, it all comes down to communication and, and mindset. Wow. Yeah. I'd never thought of that because I currently have, um, you know, friends and I met them during like the L'Oreal volleyball tournament and there were interns in, you know, 2019 summer that got offers back to L'Oreal and lo and behold, they came back to L'Oreal. But the time we spent together and even now, you know, they would always ask me questions and I'm helping them out a lot. And yeah, I never thought about like the impact that I would have in that sort of sense that I could put on my resume. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Nice. One of the points also that we discussed was uh, remaining true to what you actually did. Um, this was something that I had to experience recently remaking my resume where, you know, there's a sort of fine line between lying and exaggerating. And mm. I think it's always good to <laughs> uh, steer away from both. Um, and what I found that really helped was being as specific as possible about the things that I did. Um, and that way I can ensure that when I'm in the interview uh, room with an interviewer as critical as Patrick here, <laughs> that I just don't have you know, silence uh, as an answer, but rather can say, well, yeah, that's exactly what I did. And this proves that I can do this and this, that you're um, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, thank you, guys. I mean, <laughs> I think part of this session, this episode, in inspiring our listeners, you know, with their resume building, it definitely it's advice that I'm going to, you know, take and use to help build my next resume. Let's say. <laughs> yeah. Likewise. All right. Well, if there's nothing else. I think. You know, this is a good point to cap our current um, episode today with the topic of topics of imposter syndrome and resume building as well. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We upload every other Thursday of the month. If you enjoyed the content, please follow our podcast channel. We strive to create content that would make a positive impact in your career journey. In return for our efforts, we would like to hear from you. For any suggestions, topic requests, or enlightening musings, please email contactrotm at gmail.com. We look forward to the next time you tune in for another episode.